Are you ready? This is Moffat on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down! How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the Moffat on the Mic show. We are live, as always, on our usual spot on the A1 Sports Network Facebook live feed. I am Craig Moffat. And, of course, the show would not be complete without the production stylings. And what looks like a brand new studio, but he just turned the computer like 90 degrees to his left. And I'm talking about, of course, the one and only Chris Clem. What's up, Greg? Clem, what's going on, man? I kind of like doing these shows once a week because we, we build up a lot of like news. Yeah. And one thing with our show, and I think you'll agree with me on this, is either something breaks five minutes after we finish mm. or five minutes before we get on the air. Oh yeah, it's so we walk into something really good. Yeah, it's either you know? what we we we're either walking into something really good, or it's like shit. I can't. We 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 could have done the show for five more minutes, like in this. New yeah. Joke. Like if I had just stayed on at the Zoom feed, would have just held on for another like fifteen more minutes. We would have been able to talk about something, but <laughs> it, it just seems to happen that way. It just you know things just kind of break right for us and every you know in some ways. So it gives us something to talk about, a platform, and you know we were pretty much resigned to the fact that this week was going to be kind of a crazy week in the NFL, primarily because next week is when the legal tampering period starts, right. which means that teams have to get under the salary cap before next week, before the league year of March 17th, because, you know, you have teams like the saints who are about 50, 46 million over the cap. The Eagles are still over the cap. I think the Rams are still over the cap. There's a lot of teams that are still over the cap or like barely treading water. When it comes to like right at that, you know, right at that, you know, the ceiling. And by the way, before we continue, you could follow our show, my show on Instagram at Moff on the Mic. You can follow me on Facebook as well. You can follow Clem and the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You could check out our podcast courtesy of Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and as well as on Anchor FM. And uh, write us a review. Leave us a five-star review because it makes us feel better at the end of the day doing this job and it will allow Clem to get a bigger banner that could cover up the, the sides of the wall. <laughs> so, but um, obviously, you know, it's funny. My phone was about to die right before I was about to have dinner. So I put it on the charger, went downstairs, had dinner, grabbed it right before we were about to come on the air. Mm. And there was literally seven text messages from Keith. And when he does that, there's something good going on. <laughs> he's like my nfl insider he always has been always been. i have two nfl insider guys my friend keith and, and my friend noel they're always on top of it they're always sending me stuff every day and when i get to beat them to a review or to something that's a huge victory for me because when and i think they borderline get pissed if i find out before them. but i can't prove that so <laughs> Obviously, the big news broke. We're going to get into the jet stuff in a few minutes, but obviously, the big news broke uh, right before we came on the air, and that is that Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys have agreed to terms on a brand new contract for four years, 160 million, with a whopping 126 million dollars guaranteed. And on top of that, 
he'll be making $75 million in his first year of the deal. Okay. I'm going to take a drink. I'm going to let you hand start it off and then I'll just jump in. in a minute. All right. I mean, we said this last year when the Cowboys looked like shit, we said it that the ball is in Dak's court. Now Dak has all the control. Now he controls what his destiny right now. And this is what he wanted. This is what he wanted. And this is what he got, you know, and the Cowboys played into it. Now I, I know you're not a big Dak fan and, Neither am I to an extent. Like, I like him. I have nothing against the guy. Do I think he's a great quarterback? I think he's okay. Because the Cowboys never won anything. Now that I got my bearings in order, do you think the Dallas Cowboys are better this year compared to last year? Now, I know he got hurt last year. So, I know know he missed a lot of games. So, that's that's the easy answer. But I want you to take it from a realistic as, what if Dak played a full season last year? What if Dak played a full season in 2021? It's, it, you know, it's hard to, like, it, it is hard to say because, yeah, he did get hurt last season. And when he was playing last year, he looked good. Maybe the Cowboys themselves didn't look good, but Dak looked really good when he was playing, you know. And, you know, Zeke looked good. Amari looked good. C.D. Lamb looked good. The whole offense looked good, you know. And then Dak goes down, and then there goes the team. The team went to shit, you know. And it, it's hard. It's t- and it's kind of hard to say hard to say that because and like you said the ball was in Dak's court you know and Dak controlled the entire franchise because yeah maybe they didn't win a bunch of games when Dak was there but they looked capable of winning when he was there so they had to give him this contract okay Fortunately. here's the way I'm going to look at it the fact is is that number one I don't like this contract but then again I'm not a Jerry Jones fan either the thing about this contract that is bad is because Dallas can't fix what needs to be fixed. Right. And that is they need to improve that defense. When you have a quarterback that's going to be making $75 million in the first year of this deal, which starts this year, you've pretty much hemorrhaged your cap. There's no, you can't fix the secondary now. Right. You can't overload the secondary like you'd like to. You can't find a replacement for Sean Lee. You cannot improve your pass rush. You cannot get maybe get a little more depth on the offensive line. You don't really need offensive weapons. You already have those guys. Right. You have Blake Schultz, um, uh, Dalton Schultz, excuse me, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, and, of course, Amari Cooper. Not to mention Tony Pollard actually ran pretty well for them as well when spelling Zeke. So the offensive weapons are there. You don't need to fix that part at all. But this is the type of contract that puts a shitload of pressure on Dak Prescott. Right. He needs to win within the next two years. There's no excuses now. None. Zero. No, you're absolutely- and on top of that, you're coming off a major injury from last year. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right with that. And that, with this kind of contract, they're literally saying – you better get us to the fucking uh, Super Bowl or at least the NFC Championship game because right now they're relying all on their offense to win these games. And, yeah, granted, yeah, maybe they could have used some more depth on the offensive line, but that's really not a, a big part. They're, uh, they still have one of the best offensive lines in the game, but they didn't, they're not focusing on their defense whatsoever. You know, Demarcus Lawrence hasn't been Demarcus Lawrence since he got that contract. They're losing guys like Tyron Crawford and Alden Smith and uh, Chidobe Awazui. I mean, and like that's what I'm saying. You're losing. You're already losing another corner. 
yeah. for this year because he's not going to be back with the Cowboys. And then on top of that, like you said, Demarcus Lawrence hasn't hasn't pro- performed. Van Der Esch has been hurt on and off. Sean Lee's always hurt. I mean, that is money that could have been allocated to improving the defense. And this is the problem with Jerry Jones because Jerry Jones is a terrible negotiator. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Because he falls in love with these guys and he gives them whatever they want. Okay? There's no way in hell that Dak Prescott is worth $126 million guaranteed. Okay? He's won nothing. He's never taken him to a championship game before. The closest he's gotten to the – he's only made it to the second round, I think, one time in his career. Mm-hmm. Okay? And 90% of the time, that team was always coming down to a Week 17 matchup against the Eagles for a shot at the division. And it was a loser-go-home matchup, and the Cowboys never showed up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to look at it in the mirror and just say to yourself, you know what, man, I love Dak. He's a great guy. I don't know if I want to give this guy this kind of money. Uh, it, 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 I agree with you 100%. You know? And like you said, he, he hasn't done anything he hasn't proven anything and you know it's not is this contract worth it absolutely not you know if you wanted to give this kind of contract to a russell wilson patrick mahomes lamar jackson even you know yeah they deserve it they've been to the playoffs they've people will say the same shit clem people will say well coaching he's not he's not coach garrett and yeah i agree you know listen coaching plays a role but not a not the majority of the role it's also on the player See, a lot of times people resort, revert to that friggin' excuse when they want to defend the player. Right. When Sam was always screwing the pooch every week, it was Gase's fault. When Dak is not winning, it's Garrett's fault. Right. It's McCarthy's fault. Dak Prescott hasn't won with two coaches. And he's also put up his fair share of stinkers in big spots. Yes. And you can argue that a lot of his stats were done in garbage time when the Cowboys were trailing. Those 500-yard games come from when the Dallas Cowboys are trailing because their defense stinks. But Jerry Jones loves these guys. He falls in love with these guys. He, he falls in love with these guys and negotiate. He doesn't know how to – he negotiates with his heart too much, mm-hmm. not his brain. And that's why the Cowboys are always in the situation they're in. And now you're basically bringing back the same Cowboy team as last year with what could be a worse defense than last year. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And now next year, hold, hold on, I mean, I'm not trying to cut you off. You have to take into account that the Giants are going to come back with Saquon Barkley healthy and Daniel Jones, and you know they're going to make improvements on their offense, probably as well as their defense too, which was very, very underrated last year. Mm-hmm. You have the Washington football team coming off a division title and a very strong first season under Ron Rivera. You don't think Riverboat Ron's going to build on on last year? You don't think he's going to try to find a permanent fixture at quarterback? It's not going to be Taylor Heineke. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, looking at this defense, you know, and like you mentioned, like they're giving 75 mil a Dak in his first year. They're, that means they're really not going to be spending this much money in the offs, in, in the free agency. So they have to go out and either make trades or they have to go out and uh, – and draft these guys because right now they're the only really lo- reliable guy you could say on their defense is Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith has been a rock solid middle he linebacker might, for them, but you can't. He's really supposed to be a cap casualty, but now they think I think they're, they're thinking of keeping him. But again, the defense is not that good. Yes, 
and you need defense to win football games. You're not going to be able to light it up 40 points. And don't think for a minute that the Giants defense, the Redskins defense, and even to a lesser extent, the Eagles defense don't know how to play Dak Prescott. Mm-hmm. They've seen him time and time again. They know everything about him. So you're not exactly surprising people here. But to give this guy $126 million guaranteed to make him the second highest paid quarterback for a guy who hasn't won shit. Yeah, great stats guy. You know who else was a really good stats guy? Phillip Rivers. And Phillip Rivers didn't win anything either. Yeah, I, Again, I agree with you. I, I like He doesn't deserve this, this type of money, at least. Like I said. Guys like Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, you know, those those are the quarterbacks that deserve this money. Dak Prescott, good quarterback, but he hasn't proven anything. If he's gone to NFC Championship games and Super Bowl, okay, yeah, by all means, give the, give him this money. He deserves it. But he hasn't done anything. No, he hasn't. And, again, it's just this is Jerry Jones bidding against himself. Now, what worked in Dak's favor was the fact that when he was injured, Dallas just fell apart. Exactly. They weren't that great to begin with with Dak on the field when they were off the field. Once Dak was out for the season, the team just fell apart. They got nothing really out of Andy Dalton, who had a concussion. Then they had no choice but to bring in a guy. They had to start Ben DiNucci for one game, and that turned out to be a disaster. Zeke wasn't running hard. The team itself just wasn't playing well. Then there were stories about how the team was tired of McCarthy, that they didn't like McCarthy and everything. You know, it was one thing after another. And McCarthy is back for another year. They kept him around for another year. But again, it's just, I look at this team and I see literally the same roster as last year. I don't think they're going to be able to make significant improvements now because you hemorrhage a lot of your money to Dak in his first year. $75 million, dude. $75 million. Yeah, it's it's an... It's an absurd amount. It's absurd amount of money, and now you can't go out and get the defensive guys that you need to fix this team. Like Trayvon Diggs, he had a he had a good rookie year. That's his guy to build off of. But there's no one you can bring in to to help him out because there's no one there's no one there. And yeah, you have a solid middle linebacker core with Jalen Smith and uh, Lation Vander Esch, but Vander Esch is never healthy now. He's the new Sean Lee. And it stinks because he's good when he is healthy. When he's not, when he is healthy, just like Sean Lee, <laughs> just like Sean Lee. Like Sean Lee used to get hurt all the time, but when he was on the field, he was a great linebacker. Yeah. Now look, maybe the Cowboys might be best suited to trade a guy like Michael Gallup. Maybe to try to recoup a draft pick or something like that. Maybe you, you could probably get a decent pick for him. I don't know if you, you definitely not getting a first, and I don't think you're getting a second. But a third round pick is not out of the realm of possibility. No, it's not. Michael Gallup, I mean, Michael Gallup is going to be wasted on that team because of C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott. There's not going to be enough to get the ball around to everybody. But again, Jerry Jones, this is why Jerry Jones fails all the time. He falls in love with these guys too much. He loves these flashy players, and he buries this team in bad contracts. He just gave Amari Cooper $100 million last year. Now he's giving Dak one hundred and sixty. million. I mean, holy crap, Clem. I mean, that, that, that's insane. It is. It really is insane. Like, we don't even know what the salary cap is going to be this year. <laughs> like you said, this offense is rock solid. This is a great offense, but the defense is shit. And you know as well as I do, offense wins your games, defense wins your championships. And you. Do- I don't think, though, that Dak is a – I don't know, man. Maybe it's just me. And, look, I, I can't 
pinpoint every single stat of Dak Prescott or every game he's played. But I don't see a guy that plays big in big spots. I think back to that game on Thanksgiving when they played Buffalo two years ago. He was terrible in that game. Like He was flat out awful. And I mean, a lot of the stats, even when they played the Jets, he wasn't really a great, you know, that year he was not good. He was not good. You're in right. 19, he was not a good, he did not play well, but his stats, because they were behind the whole game, they were getting torched. No, you're absolutely right. And when you have other defenses in this, in, not in the NFC East alone, Giants defense is up and coming. They proved a lot last year. We know what the Redskins, excuse me, the Washington football team's defense can, uh, can do now. Eagles defense, they're still rebuilding too, but I mean, they can get to Dak. This is not, these aren't bad teams. They, these have, these defenses, these NFC East defensive lines, at least, are decent. And yeah. granted, yeah, the Cowboys have a good offensive line. But on the other end, you know, Daniel Jones, like you mentioned, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, they're going to look to tear it up next year. The, uh, the yeah. Washington Think about it like this, dude. Keith just brought this up, and he's 100% right. Dak's making more money than Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers, and they've won Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. He's making more money than Tom Brady. They've Tom won. Brady's won Super seven, seven freaking Super Bowls. They've Dak's won. never made it to a championship game, let alone a Super Bowl. Like I said, like elite, like if they were, like I said, if they were like made it to Super Bowl or even went to NFC Championship games, I would say, yeah, he deserves this contract, absolutely. But not that much money because, like you mentioned, he hasn't proven anything. And I like Dak Prescott. I think I think he's an okay quarterback. I think he's good. But he hasn't done anything. He hasn't been like, oh, okay, you know, he's the guy to get us. He's he's the Marvin Lewis of the of of, of players. You know, he'll get you to the playoffs, but he might not make, get you to the next round. And that's just the that's the problem I have with the whole deal. Right. It, listen, quarterbacks are going to get paid. If Ryan Tannehill, Colin Kaepernick, and Andy Dalton have proven anything, is you could be mediocre, but you're going to get paid. Right. You know, Ryan Tannehill, obviously better now than he was when he first got his contract with the Miami Dolphins. But it's just, I don't understand why people think that Dak is so great. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know the stats. I know he doesn't really turn the ball over that much. But again, he's been with the Dallas Cowboys since he was drafted. And they haven't won anything. And you can blame it on McCarthy. You can blame it on Garrett, and that's fine. They deserve their fair share of the blame too. But a lot of the blame is going to fall on Dak. For example, if Dak doesn't lead the Cowboys to the Super Bowl this year, with that contract, who's really at fault now? Is it McCarthy or is it Dak? Right. See what I mean? You paid a guy $75 million in his first year. He better get your ass to the Super Bowl. Yeah. He better take you to at least a championship game this year. And I don't think – and Dallas is not even the best team in the – I'm not even sure if Dallas is the best team in their division. I don't think they're the I – I, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't think they're the second best team in their division. I mean, Washington definitely took some major strides in their first year under Rivera, and the Giants took some really strong had – a, had a pretty good first season under Judge. I know the record doesn't tell the tale, but they still performed well for him. Now, second year, what do we always say about coaches on this show? You're playing with house money your first year as a head coach. The odds of you getting fired are just really slim to none unless you have completely incompetent 
and you just have no clue what you're doing. But now there's tape on how you run your offense. Now there's tape on how you do things. So that's where the Washington football team and the Giants are going to have to adjust. But the thing is, you're bringing the same cast of characters back to the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, there's nothing the, new here right now. And there's not going to be anything new unless you trade or draft for someone because you're not going to get anyone with the free agency with all the contracts you have out there. Zeke, Amari, now Dak, $75 million in the first year. You're not going to have all, all this money to spend in the, in, the, in the free agency, so the only way you're going to add new players is through the draft or through trades. Yeah, he gave Jalen Smith a big deal. He gave Tyron Smith a big deal. I mean, again, this is the problem with Jerry Jones, but he'll never relinquish that GM title. Never. Never in a million years. He wants all the control. The problem is it's, it's hurting the franchise. It it's hurting the franchise. They haven't been to a Super Bowl in 25 years. I have nothing against the Cowboys. I have friends who are Cowboys fans. I know a lot of Cowboys fans, and I have nothing against them. But when you when they do shit like this, it's like, come on, be better. Like, I like Zeke. I like Amari. I like Dak. I like this whole team, actually. I like everything about the Cowboys. But when they do shit like this, it's like, it's kind of hard to, like, root for them in the East. And especially when I don't like the Giants, I'm like, okay, let's, let's go. Cowboys, do something. And they do this shit. And it's like, come on. And, of course, you know, week one, they'll be on fucking Sunday Night Football because we got to have the Cowboys every chance we get on TV to remind, remind everybody how average they really are. No, they really are. Like, like I said, they have maybe a top 10 defense. I mean, a top 10 offense. They have a bottom five defense, though. Yeah, it's one of the worst defenses in the league. And it, it just gets to the point where, like, look, I'm not trying to bash – Dak, I'm more or less bashing the Cowboy franchise mm-hmm. because Jerry Jones talks a big game, but at the end of the day, I feel like he doesn't have the balls. He doesn't have the balls to cut the negotiations at a certain level and just say, look, you're out of your fucking mind. Right. Okay. I mean, but Dak did have a lot of leverage because yeah. when he wasn't, when he was injured, the team fell apart. The crazy thing was even when he was on the field, they weren't winning. No, they weren't. They and weren't. the problem was not necessarily with Dak or with Amari Cooper or Zeke. It was the defense. Their defense was atrocious. It was. It was very bad. And like I said, Dak was looking very good last year. He was looking very good. Yeah, I think he had 10 touchdowns and like four, three, four interceptions in like the four or five games he played. That's very good. That's pretty good to me. And again, he, he held Jerry Jones by the balls and was like, look, you saw what the team was like after I left. Maybe we, we weren't going to win with me, but we would have definitely been better than what you guys put out on the field every day. We could have maybe fought for the NFC champion, <laughs> NFC East championship this year. This is even the worst part before we get to the Marcus May stuff. Dak Prescott now has the highest signing bonus in NFL history at $66 million. Jesus Christ. Just Russell for- Wilson is next at 65, then Rodgers at 57 and a half. That's insane. Uh- I just I don't get it, man. I mean, what a, I mean, what what am I missing about Dak Prescott Club? I don't know. <laughs> like, what am I missing? Like, I I can't figure it out. I, I, again, I don't know. Maybe, like I said, maybe it's just because he's the locker room guy, and you saw the team fall apart at after after he stopped playing. He is a decent quarterback to an extent, so. I I don't know, man. Maybe we'll. I mean, it all depend on if they can actually, you know at least get to the NFC championship game this year. 
So the one thing that sucks about Twitter feeds is, is that they all like 20 different reporters write the same exact tweet, which is about the Jets tagging Marcus May. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, number one, it's a very solid move by the Jets to do that. Okay. It's very important that the Jets do that too. Um, last week it came out the, you know, May's agent responded to a tweet by an ESPN reporter saying that the Jets had like 80 million in salary cap space after they had cut Henry Anderson. And basically May's agent went off on the Jets and said, you know, then they should be basically saying that his guy should get paid. If we know Joe Douglas now for anything is he's not going to be bullied by some fucking agent. Right. To be honest, it's never a good thing for an agent to make that public, especially for a guy who quite frankly, I think is good, but not elite. Mm-hmm. Marcus May's a very good safety, but he's not an elite safety. He's not the honey badger. He's not Buda Baker. Okay. Just to name a couple of guys off the top of my head. All right. You know, he's maybe not even Prez, but I don't know. But again, that remains to be seen. The point I'm trying to make is that Marcus May is not worth $14, $15 million a year if that's what the agent is really going for. Now, the tag is at $11 million. The good news about the tag is, is that basically no, he can't be touched. Right. The, he, nobody can touch him now. He's going to be a Jet in 2021 and most likely beyond. Because I don't think Douglas puts the tag on him if he can't get him to work out a deal. Right. So there's that. Now, the thing about May is I don't – I think that fans – are negotiating with their almost like their emotions mm-hmm. fans do this a lot when they're not paying the bill they are they negotiate with their emotions because they love the guy and he made a couple of really amazing interceptions last year and he's a good team leader and no and i don't take that away from him okay marcus may's been a great jet outside of the injuries i couldn't have asked for a better player and i want him here you know i want to keep him here It's not as easy, though, for people to just sit there and say, well, you got to pay him. Just pay him already and be done with it. Okay. Clip, I see your eyes bugging out. Did you just, like, lose power or something? Like, my team, like, like, I have my mom. Okay, there we go. My (laughs) my monitor just, like, turned off on me for, like, a hot second. I was like, what the hell's going on here? Every time I'm always in the middle of a fucking moment, like, something explodes in your house and, like, we got to, like, fucking stop I can hear you talking. That's why it, like, freaked me out. I was like, what's going on? Yeah. Right? So... The thing is, is that while Marcus May is a good player, you have to be careful how you overvalue him. Right. You already know the tag is at $11 million, so you probably might want to start negotiations on or around that number. Like, I think a four-year $44 million deal can get it done. Mm-hmm. I think Marcus May would definitely take that. You know, at the same time, he's in the prime of his career. His agent wants a bigger contract. Mm-hmm. Um. But the point is, they got him tagged. I'm fine with it. I don't know if this is going to become a trend now where agents are going to start pissing on the Jets when the Jets don't want to give them the money that they feel their client deserves. Mm-hmm. We've seen this with Jamal Adams, of course, but that was more Jamal than his agent. Now we're seeing it with May. And, you know, we even saw it to a lesser extent with Robbie Anderson, where Robbie Douglas made him, Douglas admits he makes a mistake. But then I don't really know if Douglas made a mistake because Robbie Anderson basically came out and said that he was visibly depressed in 2019 playing under Gase, mm-hmm. which is what Jamal Adams said. So it's like birds of a feather flock together. <laughs> okay. But 
I like the move to start out the free agency period. Now, where Douglas goes from here, I don't know. It's tough to gauge. Now, he had last week, he did his press conference with Robert Sala. And again, he wasn't very committed to Sam. And a lot of people took it, you know, he basically said in not too many words that if people call about Sam, I'm going to take the call, Mm -hmm. which is the same exact thing he said about every other player that is on his roster. He's not going to turn down a call about a player. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to accept the trade. Right. Okay. A lot of people are getting it in their heads that Sam is pretty much done in New York, which I think is probably the best for both sides. But the one thing I'm getting frustrated about and listening to a lot of jet writers and even fans is there are a lot of people who want Sam to stay. There are, there are. And, To those people, I ask them, did you not watch any of the games last year? (laughs) Did you not watch any of the games in 2018? Did you not see a trend with the way he, the way he's just not, it's almost like he's on the field. He's just like dumb. I mean, like, what am I missing here? Are you, is it, do you really believe he has the potential or are you afraid to trade him to another team and he winds up realizing his potential? I think I think it's it's a little of both for fans. And I could see it in the way they're thinking because, you know, when we drafted Sam, we traded up to get Sam. Let's not forget that. So when we when we were drafted Sam, Sam was arguably the best quarterback in that draft class. He was this, he was that, he was the next he was the he was the next Joe uh, Joe Montana uh, Joe, Joe Montana. Wow, Joe Namath. He was the Sam Chise. He was, hey, Donald, everything, you know, it, it was big, big things about him, you know, and with, you know, the way, you know, he's failed us and everything like that. People still are hoping that, you know, maybe it was Adam Gase that ruined him and a new coach can fix him and Michael Ford's offense and this and that. And then other fans are and the same fans are like, you know, but if he goes to another team, if he goes to the Washington football team, if he goes to the Panthers, if he goes to this team, you know, they could be like, well, I can't believe we gave him up and we drafted this guy, Zach Wilson. I can't believe, like, he's doing, he's succeeding here. And that's just, Bro, yes, you know. There's one thing I've always said, and I remember I got, I had Jet fans ripping me on Facebook one time because I always say it. I say it about Met fans, actually, too. They are the best general managers in hindsight. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, they never want to trade anybody. They never wanted to get rid of this guy. They never wanted to get rid of that guy. But again, did they not watch the games last year that Sam played in? It's not, not even that. Like, Sam is still making the same mistakes. He made and I don't disagree with how Sam – listen, Sam makes plays. I don't disagree with that concept. My thing is, is that Sam doesn't do it enough. Mm-hmm. He doesn't throw for over 200 yards in a game 90% of the time. I mean, did you ever you ever see that? I mean, that's a pretty shitty stat for Sam Donald alone. And that's something that Gase is, can't teach him. Yeah, that's... Well, because we don't throw 40 yards down the field every play? I mean, no, it's about the fact that he doesn't know how to command an offense. The other thing I don't like about Sam is I don't see those leadership qualities. I don't see him riling up the players on the sideline saying, yo, that was my bad. I'll make sure I get you the ball next time. Right. Or don't worry, guys, we're only down by 10. Let's, you know, let's do something. No, he doesn't do that. No, you're absolutely. And those are the types of things you want to see out of your signal caller. You want to see that out of your quarterback. 
You want to see your quarterback carry the team on his shoulders and just try to just carry the load. No, you're, that's it. And you're, I don't see that out of sense. You're absolutely right. And look, if you if you even see go on an NFL Instagram sometimes, guys who are like hyping up their the players on the sidelines, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, it's all these big name quarterbacks. And there's a reason that they're that good. There's a reason that people respect because they do all this shit for them. The quarterback, like when Sam is just a blank face on the line on the sidelines, just like he's another player that he's just like, okay. But Sam, here's the thing about Sam. Sam is a good person. He's been a good soldier for the most part. And I will always give him that. He's never made waves. He said the right things. That's what he, that's what you should do. Okay. Whether you believe in Gase or not, you're always going to go to bat for your coach. You're never going to try to make it seem like the coach is the issue because when you do that, you're deflecting. You're deflecting from the real problem, and that's you. Gase is a problem. Listen, I don't dispute the fact that Gase is a bad coach. I don't dispute that. Gase liked to call plays. He didn't like to run the ship altogether by himself. He just wanted to call plays, and he wasn't very good at that either. But Sam was still making the same mistakes. Exactly. So either Gase isn't teaching him, or Sam is just still not accustomed to learning from his mistakes and trying to improve. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, throwing it into coverage and interceptions, taking brutal sacks when not necessary. And then the worst part is running out of bounds when you lose a yard, when you could have just thrown a ball away. Those are three things that are huge pet peeves for me. And I've seen it too many times with jet quarterbacks. And with all due respect, the last person I really want to hear about who hear their opinion on Sam Darnold is Mark Sanchez. And I'll tell you why I don't want to hear it. Because Mark Sanchez did the same thing. He did the same things as a Jet quarterback. And he's the last fucking person I want to hear talking about how Sam's got to get out of New York. Sam's got to get out of New York. Because you know what? After those two years where, by the way, the talent around you was more the reason why than you as the quarterback, you didn't do shit. You never built on those two years as a quarterback and you have the nerve to go on ESPN and start talking shit about how Sam's got to get out of New York. That place is going to kill him and everything like that. He is the last person. This is the same quarterback who ran to ran into his offensive lineman's ass. And I'm sorry, but Stevie wonder could have seen that ass from a mile away. Okay. And I got to listen to Mark Sanchez talk about how Sam's got to get out of New York. I mean, listen, I don't expect you to have any blind loyalty to the Jets organization anymore. Far from it. You're an analyst. That's your job. But don't fucking tell me about how Sam, like you're making it seem like New York is the issue when you were just as much of a problem when you were here too. No, you're absolutely right. And the thing that's frustrating with Sam is when we saw him in 2018, his rookie season, pretty decent rookie season, not going to lie. But he's never built from that. It's been stagnant, if anything, gotten worse since his rookie year. And it's like, but what it's the, the same mistake. Like I, I could deal with the shitty stats and everything, but it's the same mistakes that are bothering me. It's the, like I said, you know, when I watched that game last week, uh, it was the 2018 game against Buffalo, and you see the same interception, and you see the same interception in 2019, and you see the same interception in 2020. Okay. What is the problem? Why can't you figure this out? And again, it's not, it, you can blame some of it on Gase. You can blame some of it on Bowles if you want. 
But you got to also blame Sam for not taking that step forward. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe it was the coach. Maybe it was all the coaching. We don't know. But when you're that highly touted coming out of college, when you get when you're the third overall pick in the NFL, you yourself have to be better than that. You yourself have to go the extra mile. You yourself have to be this this amazing quarterback that we all know that he could have been. And he's but you can't not, take. He here's that. the problem at the end of the day. And look, I don't know what Joe Douglas and Robert Sala think right now. I don't know if they think that Sam can be fixed. I don't know if they want the pressure of trying to fix him. Okay. Especially with the number two pick in the draft where you could wind up getting Zach Wilson, who now all of a sudden is better than Trevor Lawrence, apparently. Don't get me started. Okay. You know, I, I mean, now it's Chris Sims is the latest guy to say that Zach Wilson is better than Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Chris Sims also said Mitch Trubisky was the best quarterback in that draft class. So let's not forget that. Okay. See, it's just like, this is what I'm talking about. It's like, I don't know what to make of Zach Wilson. Yes, I, I totally get the fact that he didn't play tough competition. You know who else didn't play tough competition? Josh Allen. How's that working out for him? Doing great. It doesn't matter what competition. This is why guys like Mel Kuyper just mail it in every year on ESPN for the check. Because they offer no really great insight on anything anymore. No, they don't. Like I would walk through the draft for like 20 years. Like I, knew, I like I, I tried watching Zach Wilson's tape, and what I got from it is that it looks like he's more of a a project quarterback. I mean, like I'm no expert by all means. Don't even if you're watching this, don't even like take my opinion seriously. But like I watched him, and there were some things I really didn't like what he did. He threw off his back foot a lot. He didn't. He doesn't have a big arm, and his act, his accuracy is not that. It's too risky. Here's the problem, Clem. It's too risky to go into 2021 with Sam as your starter, mm-hmm. because if he fails again, and either Zach Wilson or Justin Fields light it up, Joe's going to get destroyed. He's going to get destroyed. Okay. And all those Jets fans and Jets riders who said, yeah, we should have stuck with Sam, you know, we stuck with Sam. They're going to, they're going to have selective amnesia. Right. Uh, You know, I'm not the general manager of the Jets. You're right. You're not the general manager of the Jets, but stand by your fucking opinion. No, exactly. Like that's my point. If you're going to sit there and have the balls to sit there and say the Jets should stick with Sam Darnold, they haven't done right by him because now all of a sudden we're back to that again. They never did right by him. They never gave him the weapons They never did anything. Okay. Now we're back on that narrative because we didn't get Trevor Lawrence. See what I mean? It's the it's like the the flavor of the month. When the Jets were like 0-9, it was like, oh, we got to get Trevor Lawrence. And Sam's terrible. We got to get Trevor Lawrence. Okay? Then the Jets win those two games, and it's like, oh, we got we to get Sam. We got to keep Sam. You know, oh, we got to get Justin Fields. That was the next one. And then when Justin Fields had a crappy national championship game against Alabama, then it was – Oh, we got to get Sam. You know, we got to make sure Sam gets the weapons and he's going to be really good and everything. It's too risky to go into this year with Sam Darnold. It's nothing personal against Sam. It's just the fact that I think it's too risky. Yeah, no, that's it is. Most quarterbacks at this stage in the game, if they haven't learned by now, they're not going to. They're not going to. No, you're absolutely right. And you can't, you can't run it back with Sam at whatsoever. Like like pe- fans were already turning on him next year and now they're back like you mentioned. They go they were going back and forth too much with Sam. And you, you can't you can't do that to a quarterback. I 
Like I, whether it's, you know, Deshaun Watson, Justin Fields, uh, Zach, well, I'm personally, I don't like Zach Wilson, but I'd rather take Justin Fields, but it's, it's gotta be a new quarterback for next season. It can't be Sam. And I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very sad saying that because I really did want Sam to be the, the next, this next great quarterback of this franchise. Now look, if they watch the tape and they think they can fix him, then you know what? I have no choice but to back it. Because I want the Jets to win football games. If Mike LaFleur and Robert Sala feel that they can, they can, you know, salvage him, great. Let's hope that's the case. But I don't know what they're thinking right now. But something tells me that they're just going to want to go into this season with a brand new quarterback. And that's usually what the, what the, what it is, you know. Like whenever a quarterback, ta- whenever a new coach takes over a team, unless it's like the franchise quarterback that's been on the team already, they go with a new quarterback. And you so you saw it with uh, Todd Bowles when he got here. You know, I mean not Todd Bowles. Let me rephrase that. Sorry. When Rex Ryan got here, he 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 was a perfect game. He drafted Mark Sanchez. You know, now Robert Sala's taking over. New offense coordinator Michael Floor. Zach Wilson or Justin Fields might be the choice. Or by some divine miracle that Trevor Lawrence drops to, to the second overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> I just don't see a situation where Trevor Lawrence is going to drop to two. Unless Urban Meyer, like, really just doesn't like Trevor Lawrence. That could be the only salute, the only thing. But there's no way that Urban Meyer would come out of retirement from coaching, the, from coaching to not only go to the NFL, but to take over a team that nobody really cares about. Yeah. And that's Jacksonville without thing, the, without even the remote possibility of drafting Trevor Lawrence. The one thing I don't get is, you know, speaking of Trevor Lawrence, why does no one bash the Jaguars for for potentially ruining, ruining Trevor Lawrence's career? Why were they only, when it looked like the Jets were going to get the first overall pick, everyone was saying, Oh, Trevor Lawrence should stay one more year. Oh shit. Do you remember Mike Greenberg saying, and Stephen A. Smith talking about how Trevor Lawrence should stay in school if he's coming to New York? Look, the Jaguars are any fucking better. Like, it doesn't, like, they're just as bad as the Jets when it comes to developing a quarterback. Who'd they have? Mark Brunel? Ooh. Like, what? Like, why does no one bash the Jaguars? Why are they only bashing the Jets? There's no fucking sense to me. Because it's easy. That's why. That's all it is. It's easy. I mean, that's it. I mean, look, do you think a plethora of free agents are going to the Jaguars? No. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, the Jaguars are going to have a lot of money to spend in free agency, but they've always had a lot of money to spend, and it's gotten them nowhere. And the thing is, if the Buccaneers franchise Chris Godwin, the Lions franchise Kenny Galladay, there's talk to the Bears might franchise Allen Robinson. I mean, that's it. Three of your top receivers are gone. Yeah. And just like that, Trevor Lawrence has no talent. You know? So, and the thing is, we don't really know what to make of Urban Meyer as the head coach. Right. So, now, the other part of the press conference that was interesting about Douglas was Douglas basically said in not too many words that he wants to build this through the draft. So, a lot of people got it in their head that the odds of them trading for Deshaun Watson don't seem very high. I won't say zero because you never know. And with Douglas, that could easily change the course. But part of the reason why I think Douglas is saying this too is because the Texans have not made it public that they're going to trade him. They've really been standing their ground on this, which, I mean, you and I have said it's a mistake because if he doesn't want to play there and now he's just told the head coach doesn't want to play there, I mean, why are you going to drag this out any further than it needs to go? Exactly. Now is the time to trade Deshaun Watson. 
whether it's to the Jets, whether it's to the Dolphins, whether it's to the Niners or whoever. Now is the time. You don't want this dragging out into free agency, which starts next week. Or closer to the draft. You don't want this dragging out because this could get ugly very fast. No, it could. Yeah. And like we mentioned, like Deshaun has come out publicly and said he wants to be traded. He wants to be traded. He wants to go. And he's very like, that's his mindset that he wants to get, get away from the Texans. But like you mentioned, the Texans have been staying their ground. They've been saying that, you know, we're not going to trade him. We want to keep him. blah, 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 all this stuff. And like we mentioned, we think that's the bad, we think that's the bad move because you're not going to, you just, first of all, you just lost your, probably the best player you had in years in JJ Watt. He's also the heart and soul of that team too. Literally the heart and soul. And you're not, but there's a lot of things right now with the Texans. You're not going to bring back Will Fuller. Most likely there's a lot of talk about Will Fuller might go to the Jets. I'll take that. Right. You're not going to bring back Will Fuller. You're going to probably have to cut Brandon Cooks, which is going to save you more money on the cap. You just restructured David Johnson's contract to get some wiggle room under the cap. You have no first and second round picks this year. I mean, this is a team like, I mean, if you literally gave David Cully a disaster of epic proportions in his first year, and he's got to literally find a way to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. No, he does. So the best thing you can do for David Cully right now is get the guy some draft picks, get him some first rounders, get him a second rounder this year. Find ways to make moves to help benefit your team. Yeah, and you're not it's not gonna happen when you don't have draft picks this year. And and Deshaun has nothing nothing to play with. He has nothing there. The defense stinks now. You have nothing on this. It looks like nothing on this offense. Deshaun, you gotta trade Deshaun and you gotta you gotta burn it down. You gotta literally burn it down and start from the ground up. I mean, that's pretty much it. And we said it last week when we were talking to Jake. That the Texans for a while have been playing, you know, they've gotten lucky with the fact that their division was so weak for so many years before eventually Phillip Rivers came and then Derrick Henry got drafted by the Titans. Ryan Tannehill, you know, you know, wound up having a, rena- a resurgence in Tennessee. Now it's just now you have Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. I mean, if there was ever a time for the Texans to just really kind of put a reboot on this season, on the roster, this is the time. This is definitely the time. But now, Douglas's opinion, Douglas could easily change his mind if the Watson negotiations wind up picking up some steam. But we knew this about Douglas from the beginning. We knew that he wanted that he was a scout. That's pretty much where he broke his bones in in the business was as a scout. He values the draft more than anything because he knows the draft builds a foundation. That's why I think he likes having these picks, man. He likes having these draft picks. He likes, you know, he likes the fact right now that he's picking second overall. And he knows that teams are going to be salivating Wilson and or Justin Fields. Maybe more Zach Wilson. I don't think people are going to trade up for Justin Fields. So he wants to use that to his advantage. He could find a way to next year if he really wanted to, if he trades down and finds the right deal. Clint, he could easily have three first-round picks next year. Yeah, he could. He really I mean, imagine that. He's gonna have. He could have two this year and three next year. And if he find and if he chooses to trade Sam Darnold, he's gonna probably get a second rounder for him. So now you have two ones and two twos this year. I mean, I, I don't. See, I mean, that's just how he rolls, man. He he loves the draft. 
And his first draft was very promising. Even a few of the U of the undrafted free agents showed some, you know, showed something. Guys like Javelin Gidry, guys like Bryce Huff, and guys like uh, you know Lamar Jackson. You know, he wasn't great, but he wasn't bad either. He wasn't terrible. You know, I think he got thrown out to the wolves pretty much. At, you know, at, at various points, and he was pretty much set up to fail. But when I hear that, I mean, I start to believe it. And the thing is, again, here is the reason why I'm not a thousand percent on board with a Deshaun Watson trade. If you trade for Deshaun Watson now, you're sending a message that you're competing. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be rebuilding with Deshaun Watson at quarterback. You are going to be competing. You are going to be competing for the division this year or a wild card spot with Deshaun Watson which means now you have to take your strategy of building through the draft and now you got to build it through free agency. It's also going to put a ton of pressure on guys like Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur to deliver. And you know, this fan base, Clem, this fan base is impatient. They're not happy. And when, and New York radio hosts are the same shit. When this team fails, they rip the team to shreds up and down. Mm Mm-hmm. When you make a trade for a guy like Deshaun Watson, and I'm not saying they should, I'm just saying I'm not 100% on board with a trade for Deshaun Watson. You are sending a message to the league, and you know Deshaun Watson's not going to sit through a 4-12 and season. He's going to want a plan, and he's going to want to know what it is. He's not going to want to be kept in the dark like he was in Houston. He's going to want to know what you're doing to make this team better and how you're going to do this the next few years where he can be on a team that he can compete. Right. No, you're absolutely and, right. And, like, I, I, as much as I would love – I love Deshaun Watson, and I would love him on this team. But you do make a good point when you mention, you know, that they are sending a message that this is going to be a win-now team. I think if you could sell Deshaun and, hey, look, maybe not this year, but next year we could be AFC Championship bound. And I think it very could possibly be. Look, if the Jets, they sign a guy like Brandon Scherf in the free agency and then Allen Robinson, there's your offense right there. You got it. I mean, you're minus, minus a running back, really, which you can grab in the second round, hopefully, if Travis Entienne or Najee Harris are both still there. Grab a, grab, a, grab a running back. Then your offense is complete. You got it. You have a solid wide receiver core with Allen Robinson, Denzel Mims, and Jamison Crowder. You got your quarterback. You got your offensive line with uh, – with Becton, Fant, McGovern, and uh, let's say Brandon Scherf on the offensive line, there's your offense right there. You just build around your defense, and the defense is not that awful. But remember, it's a new system. Yes. They're going to a 4-3 now. They're, they were under a 3-4 last year. And look, I saw the list of the 25 free agents the Jets have this year, and if I can be brutally honest, the only guy I would keep is May. Yes. Or, or I would consider – if he was interested in coming back for another year, bringing Flacco back to back up on, to back up my quarterback. Okay. The rest of the guys, to me, they're just a dime a dozen guys like Neville Hewitt, guys like Terrell Basham, decent players, but not really guys. I'm like chomping at the bit to get back. If you know what I mean? Now that we're going to a four, three kind of defense, I think Neville Hewitt is a good part to bring back. Just because of the fact that, you know, C.J. Mosley will be back and he'll be the core middle linebacker for this team. So you add a depth, a depth piece like Neville Hewitt to back to back him up 
who was arguably one of our better defenders last year. I think he led the team in tackles, Neville Hewitt. So why not bring him back for them for, for, for fuck's sake. But the key to it also is you're going to get Mosley back. Yes. And I think Mosley's a, it's a very, very important piece to have back this year. You know, putting him, putting Mosley with Quinn in, putting Mosley with Foley Fatukazi. You know, I think the defensive line still remains a very strong point for this Jets team. It's one of the few areas right now that they're not really hurting. But I think if you go out and make a trade for Deshaun Watson, the stakes just went up. And the fans are going to be expecting, you know, a team, a competitive team in the first year. And the minute they don't get it, it's going to start. Douglas has got to be fired. You know, Douglas is Douglas sucks and everything. And I don't think that's how Douglas is going to build this man. And the thing is what, and the other part of it too, is the Texans are sending very mixed messages. No one knows what they're doing right now. And that's not a good look for the Texans organization. Cause you literally have done everything wrong with this guy since the season ended. You told him you were going to have, he was going to have a say in who, or you were going to value his opinion when it came to a general manager and a coach and you didn't do it. You went behind his back and hired Nick Casario. Now, look, I don't think that franchise players should have that much of a say. I don't mind hitting their opinion. And sometimes you just do it to please the guy to make him happy. To realize you say, hey, we respect you. You know, you're a big part of our team. What are you thinking right now? What do you, who do you like? Who do you want us to talk to? Well, that, that's what, you know, teams should you know, and to fact- shouldn't take over the team though. Franchise players like should never take over a team like that. But it doesn't hurt to sit there and say, sit him down after the season and say, you know what, man, we messed you up. We're sorry. Tell us how. Give me your thoughts on how you want us to fix it. Well, and the big thing with Deshaun Watson is, you know, he signed that big contract back in what was it, September, October, fully knowing what this franchise was you know, doing. So they must have lied to him in some sort of way because he fully knew what this franchise was. It's not like they were like, it's not like it was, it caught him out of surprise or anything like that. So they really must have like messed, they, the, it was that behind closed doors, they must have messed up something for Deshaun Watson that he doesn't want to be there anymore, you know, and I don't blame him. By the way, uh, the Redskins just tagged Brandon Scherf. Washington football team. Sorry, my apologies. I stand corrected. I apologize. The Washington football team. I'm still getting acclimated. <laughs> Just like when I kept calling you Christopher. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I've fucking known you for like a few years, and I can't. I just, you know, that's why it's easy to just call you Clem. Yeah, but to but to go off of that it kind of sucks for the Jets. But I mean, great for the Washington football team. Sheriff's a great. Well, I think it's a case. Of, well, supposedly the tag is worth like 18 million. I don't think they're going to pay Sheriff 18 million. I think he's going to wind up negotiating a, a deal. Or what they tend to do sometimes is they try to trade him. Well, I mean, that, I mean, Sheriff, Sheriff could. They might be able to get something for him if they know he's on a tag. Well, now, now that means that you know, since Sheriff's off the table, Brandon uh, Joe Thune's the only good guard available now. So the Joe Jets- Thune's going to get paid. He's yeah. going to get paid. And that's where the Jets are going to be careful. Again, you're not going to overpay the guy. But you got to remember how good of a lineman he is and where he came from. He's a Super Bowl winner. Exactly. You got to take that into consideration. So when you, you, can't, when you, you can't forget that part. Yeah, when he's a Super Bowl winner like that, he's got experience on that offensive line. And 
it brings it brings leadership that these young offensive linemen have not seen yet from an you know like they don't have that veteran offensive lineman you know it's Becton's fairly young Fant's fairly fairly young and so is McGovern you know and now that you know with Sheriff's off the Sheriff's off the table you're probably going to imagine they're going to draft the offensive lineman whether it's you know Wyatt Davis Trey Smith the what? crazy thing is, bro, I could totally see the Jets drafting Penny Sewell. I could totally see the Jets drafting Penny Sewell. And I wouldn't hate that pick either. But hate it, but uh, I, I don't know because a lot of people are gonna expect the Jets to draft Zach Wilson. That's gonna be that's the sexy pick now among all the, the mock draft, the eight million mock drafts that I see and everything. But uh, do not sleep on the fact of them drafting Penny Sewell. Yeah, I got a genius guy in one of my NF in my, my Jets group chats today. Had the had the bright idea. Oh, do you know what the Jets should do? They should draft Kyle Pitts in the with their first pick. I'm like, do these are these people morons? He's like, you can't keep thinking like that, man. It sounds like a dude from the, like a hippie. You can't draft a tight end second overall. You, you can't, can't draft a tight end that in the top fifteen. He was like, when you have guys like Kelsey and Gronk. and Yeah, but here's the thing about the Jets, man. And you look over the years, bro, the Jets don't – their offense have never truly favored the tight end. It's never been that way the way Belichick ran his offenses with Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski. It's never was like that when the Saints would always throw to Jimmy Graham. It's never been like that, man. It's never – with you look back on all the years – Dustin Keller was probably our best tight end. Mm-hmm. Arguably our best tight end. Next to like Mickey Schuler from, you know, from way back when. But over the years, the Jets have tried numerous guys at tight end. And while they catch some touchdowns here and there, they're not a focal point of the offense. Right. They're like a third string, you know, third, you know, third option type of thing. Whereas when the Patriots ran their double tight end offenses all the time with Gronk and Hernandez, those guys were getting the ball all the time. It was so much easier. You couldn't take those guys down. No, yeah, and I, I agree. I agree. Like having a great tight end is so crucial in, a, in an offense. And you see the good offenses. Look at the Chiefs, the 49ers with George Kittle, Gronk with the 49, with the Patriots slash Bucks. It's great to have a, a tight end. But to draft him seventh, second overall, or even top no, ten, I don't want Kyle Pitts. Cannot do that. Listen, if the Jets trade down to eight or nine, and they and they have an opportunity to draft Kyle Pitts, fine. You know, I'll I'll give it a whirl. But again, this is a this is probably the most important draft for Joe Douglas right now. Yeah, because you're coming off a pretty decent first draft. Again, the jury's still out because it's only been one year. But you see guys that are carving out roles on this team in 2021. LaMichael Pirine, Denzel Mims, Makai Becton, Bryce Hall, Braden Mann. Okay? Those guys are all carving out roles. You're hoping maybe this year you'll get something out of Jabari Zaniga. You're hoping. You're not going to get anything out of James Morgan. We already know that. That's a, that, that's a lost cause at this point. Now the worst part is James Morgan can't even – he's not even a good fit for this offense. So he might even wind up being a cut. But, again, you're seeing guys carve out roles. You're seeing other guys carve out roles, like the UD, the undrafted guys. Like I said, Bryce Huff. 
you know, Javelin Guidry, who's super fast. And he made some plays. You could work with that guy in some way, shape, or form. Okay? But, and on top of that, what I like about, you know, one thing I'm looking forward to seeing is how they're going to employ their running backs next year. Ty Johnson definitely has some great speed. Ty Johnson has some great speed. I really like the way LaMichael P. Ryan runs the ball. I mean, he was hurt on and off throughout the year, but I think overall he had a pretty decent – he had an okay rookie season. And I like Josh Adams, man. He's another guy I really like. So do I. But- I don't want to see the Jets break in the bank for a back. I want to see the Jets either draft a guy – like I would love Travis Etienne. I would love Najee Harris. Or if you're going to sign a running back, just don't go after – like I wouldn't break the bank for a guy like Aaron Jones. Okay. You're about to say something. I was going to say, I'm watching, you know, Raw out of the corner of my eye. Sheamus and Drew McIntyre doing a no disqualification match. And the ref just ended it because they could not go on. Are you kidding me? It's shit like this. It was a sol- I was watching it like out of the corner of my eye. It was actually a really decent match between the both of them. But they both hit each other with, steel, uh, with the steel steps at the same time. They're on the ground for maybe not even 30 seconds and the ref's like ring the bell they can't fight anymore i'm like you gotta be freaking kidding me we just watched the uh, last night uh, john moxley and kenny omega literally get blown up by barbed wire but they hit each other with the steel oh, and then big botch it, it was- We're gonna get, we'll get into that later we'll get into that towards the end of the show oh, i can't wait to get into that but again at the end of the day i'm gonna say this just to recap number one i think that it it's just best for the Jets and Sam Darnold to just go their separate ways. Find a guy, find a team that wants him. I don't know what you're going to get for him because I don't really know what his value is right now. I don't know how teams mark value him. You know, a guy like Rivera may feel like he could fix him. I think Rivera can definitely fix him. Yeah. But I don't know if you throw him. If I'm telling you right now, if the Chicago Bears acquire him, I guarantee you he will fail in Chicago. He will not be a good quarterback in Chicago. The best fit, in my honest opinion, I'll give you two teams, the Washington football team and the Niners. I think if you go to the Bears, it's going to put too much pressure on him, and he's going to fail. If he doesn't have Allen Robinson, that just makes it worse. Yeah, I would say the 49. I agree with you with the Washington football team. Great fit for them. I also think that if he gets traded, he could get traded to the Falcons. I'll take the Falcons' second-round pick for Sam. But – just because of the fact that he could sit behind Matt Ryan right there and, he, and Arthur Smith, who could be the one guy to fix him. Now, here's why I don't want to turn to the Niners. If Kyle Shanahan is showing that much interest in Sam Darnold mm-hmm. and Mike LaFleur runs the same exact offense that Kyle Shanahan runs in San Francisco, mm-hmm. then I got to raise a flag. It's like, why are you so interested in him? Right. What am I missing? Do I think, you know... If Kyle Shanahan thinks that Sam Darnold can run his offense, then that means Mike LaFleur should think that Sam Darnold can run his offense. Right. So that's why I'd be very reluctant to trade him to the to the Niners. And you know, you and you know if the 49ers get for some reason get Sam and he thrives. We'll never hear the end of it. Oh. Well, of course it well, the thing is again, that's not Douglas's fault though. And everybody's gonna blame Douglas for that. Yeah. Everybody's gonna blame Douglas. And I disagree wholeheartedly. The thing is, it's the best course of action is to move on. I think last year, Douglas knew that this team was not ready to compete, that the talent level was just not there, and there was no way he was going to fix that right off the bat. 
it was going to be virtually impossible for him to fix that roster right. in one year. And I think that was the reasoning behind letting Robbie Anderson go. I think he knew that this team was just not fixable this year. Like, you know, let's just build through the draft. We'll sign a couple of guys here and there, and then maybe we'll gear up for next year. So there's that. I'm just blown away by how Jet fans are still clamoring for Sam. I'm, I'm really blown away. It's like I said, it's almost like it's, it's the same excuse. It's, well, you know, oh, Gase was so bad for him. Yeah, but you know what, though? He had three different coordinators, and he still couldn't get better. He had John Morton, he had Jeremy Bates, and he had Dallin Loggins, and neither one of those guys could get anything out of him. You know, why we, you know, listen, I admit that Gase was bad. And part of the reason why Gase failed, you know, Gase was a failure was because he couldn't develop Darnold, but he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one. Yes. He did not set Sam up for success. I totally agree, but he was not the only one. And then again, Sam had another year where he missed like three games. And that's the other red flag for me is his injury history. He's, he's got injuries, not to mention about with mono. I just think that it's way too risky to go into 2021 with Sam Darnold as your starting quarterback. Agreed. And that's it. Dabbing to someone new. And as for Watson, plain and simple, the Texans just have to trade him. Stop dicking around. He doesn't want to play for you. It's time to give him, you know, you guys messed up. This relationship just seems beyond repair at this point. It's time to just move on, cut the apron strings and move on. Start building your team the right way. Start building through the draft. You know, engage the Jets in a trade for Deshaun Watson. Get that number two overall pick and maybe two other first rounders, maybe even like a third rounder or something. Just start building your franchise the right way. All right, before we get to wrestling, I want to do some uh, Moffat on the mic house cleaning. Um, some housekeeping, some stories going around pretty much. Um, you know, Clint, not for nothing, man. I'm starting to get a weird vibe that Russell Wilson might get traded. You think? I don't know, man. Like, it, I don't want to say last week when Jake was on, I said 90-10, he doesn't. But there was a report that came out earlier, uh, I think like over the weekend or on Friday, that the Bears are going to really, really aggressively make a run at Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. But the problem is – where the Bears pick in the draft, I don't think it's going to help the Seahawks. They pick too low. Yeah. I don't know what spot they pick, and I think it's like in the 20s, I think, or it's like 19 or 20. I don't even know where exactly where it is. But now look, if the Bears throwing a guy like Khalil Mack, maybe that's a start. But then then again, though, it's, you're kind of setting Russell Wilson up to fail in Chicago because you don't, you're not going to have a good defense without Khalil Mack. No, you're right. And I, I, the Bears trading for Russell Wilson, it's no way. I, I can't see that happening. I mean, that's one of the teams he said he would go to. But neither of the teams that he wants to go to can really, you know, scratch the Cowboys because they just gave Dak a ridiculous extension. Mm-hmm. The Saints can't afford him, which leaves the Bears. And there was one other team. I can't remember who it was. But I don't know, man. You'd never say never. I would say right now it went from 90-10 to 80-20. Yeah. That they that they don't trade him, but 
listen, you never know because that GM and head coach are desperate. They're desperate to win. They're desperate. And Ryan Pace has been a brutal general manager for the Chicago Bears. Yes. He's been brutal. So he may have to really, really roll the dice and go after a guy like Russell Wilson. But I don't necessarily know at the end of the day if it's going to make them a better team. Even if you get Russell Wilson, if you don't have Allen Robinson, how is that going? Then you lost your number one receiver. So who the hell is going to catch passes from? So there's that. Um, I didn't see the all-star game, nor did I really care about it, to be honest. I don't really see the point. I think the NBA all-star game in this type of, in the situation room with the pandemic, I don't think was really necessary to have, but at the end of the day, the players had it. They did the three-point contest. They did the dunk contest. Without any fans, it's just not what's it going to do for you. Plus, and like, I, from what I saw from the dunk contest, it's it wasn't that good. I mean, Anthony Anthony Simmons won it from the Trailblazers, and the winning dunk was him chickening out on what he was supposed to do. I was like, that was it? Like, this is what won the dunk? Well, you got to be kidding me. And I, like... Like it may the contest like, lost its luster after Jordan and Dominique Wilkins were not in it. You know, once they decided, once that was the funnest, the best slam dunk contest I've ever seen. Like with Spud Webb, like back in the day. I heard, I heard that one was really good, and I've seen highlights of it. But for, for me personally, I think the best dunk contest that I've dunk contest that I've seen was 2015 with Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon. That was such a good dunk contest. You were seeing dunks that you've never seen before, really. And it was, everyone was into it. The players, the players watching, were into it. It was just an overall very good dunk contest. Um, the Nets signed Blake Griffin today after he was waived by the. Uh, he was bought out by the Detroit Pistons. Give us the title, right, dude? <laughs> this is where it gets kind of weird, and this is where NBA teams really have to start figuring out. You know, when they make trades, it's like you know the, this trade didn't make any sense from my, in my opinion, from the Pistons standpoint when they made it because the Pistons weren't a very good team, and I didn't think Blake Griffin was going to make them any better. Mm-hmm. He still has to be paid $56 million. Mm-hmm. Now, as part of the buyout, he agreed to fork over a whopping $13 million. And next year, Detroit has to pay him $30 million. $30 million. Jesus. And the Nets are getting him literally at the mid-level exception, like the 5.6 trade exception or something, or a mid-level exception, whatever it is. Great for the Nets. But this is, okay, but this is a growing issue that's in the NBA. Small market teams trade for these big-time players, and then these big-time players kind of fail. They kind of fall flat on their face, or they're not as good as they're at, as they used to be. And I think when you're playing on a losing team, a guy like Blake Griffin is not going to put a hundred percent effort. He's not. Okay. He knows the Pistons suck. He's not going to put a hundred percent effort night in and night out for that team. So then what tends to happen is, is now all of a sudden you go into a rebuild, but you have this big contract that's hemorrhaging over you. Okay. So you agree to a buyout with the guy and now the guy gets a new lease on life to go play for a contender. So he goes to the Brooklyn Nets, where, of course, it's Durant, Irving, Harden. You know, those are your big three. You want to throw DeAndre Jordan in there? Fine. So now this team is stuck with the bill of $30 million for next year. 
And Blake Griffin's going to discover the fountain of youth in Brooklyn and play and play his ass off because now they're in a playoff race and they're the top team in the East, basically. Just give us the title. Okay. And the thing is, look, Blake Griffin is not what he used to be. He's not nearly what he used to be. And he's going to be a bench player for the Nets. He's not going to be a starter. You think? Yeah, he's definitely not going to be a starter. I don't believe it for a minute. Maybe with Durant out, he might. But he only averages like like 15 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game. And he and he plays – he only is averaging like 12 points a game for their – it was only – that's what he was averaging for Detroit. But it just goes to show you a growing problem, though, in the NBA is this you – you take on these big contracts. You give these guys max deals. After two years, the guy's unhappy. Your team sucks. Now you got to figure out a, you can't trade the guy. So now you got to buy him out. So basically, the guy's going to get paid to sit at home. But at the same time, you buy him out to make him a free agent, and he's going to go right to the first team, the first playoff team that comes called. Yeah, because it's not like Blake Griffin's a bad player. He's still a decent player. But just like that, though, the rich get richer. That's the problem. And the Nets, and that's the thing with the Nets. The Nets are a team that they're gonna they're gonna get this every time. And they're going to take advantage of it every time. And you see you've seen that it and this isn't something new, you know. We've seen it in the past with you know, the Cavaliers when LeBron was there, even the Lakers to an extent when LeBron was there. Basically teams LeBron's been to. <laughs> it's but it's just, it's just an ongoing thing now, you know, that these players will will just go to these, like you said, the rich get richer, and it just mm-hmm. keeps add, it keeps adding to it. And this is something it's not new in the NBA, but it's a, it's a constant trend, which kind of sucks, though. And that's what I mean. It's going to happen every time a player, a good, solid player, is a free agent. They're going to want to go to a team like the Lakers. They're going to want to go to a team like Brooklyn or Philadelphia, like any team that's competing in the you know that's going to be in the top, right? And again. And then they'll just, like I said, they'll discover the found. They'll, they'll all of a sudden discover their passion for playing because they're playing for a good team. Nobody wants to be a leader on these teams anymore in the NBA. That's why teams like Detroit are never going to be good. That's why teams like Sacramento, Minnesota, never going to be good. They're always, they're always going to lose their star players. They're never going to be able to keep these guys. You think a guy like John ja Morant is going to eventually want to stay in Memphis? He's going to want to leave. He's not going to want to go. You think Zion's going to want to stay in New Orleans? No. You know, again, unless you give him like a super max deal, that's the only way they're staying. You know, and it, it kind of it kind of sucks because, and I hate throwing LeBron James under the bus like this, but this shit didn't happen until LeBron James made the decision. Made the decision, you know, and these are the kids now that they're growing up. They watched LeBron James do this. They idolized LeBron James, obviously. You know, when they saw it happen, it's like, oh, that's all you have to do to get to the M- to win a championship. That's all fine. And you're seeing guys do that now, you know, except for the extent of, you know, with Devin Booker, you know, who they, they literally like begged basically to stay there. And they gave him a max deal to stay there in Phoenix. And now they're good because they built yeah, the they're playing much better. Exactly. I mean, a lot of the young guys are starting to find their, you know, their rhythm. But also Chris Paul's actually turned out to be a better acquisition than I thought. And Chris Paul, you know, he's a leader. Of, he's a leader, you know, and that's what he brings to the Phoenix team. You know, Phoenix said a lot of young guys, you bring in a guy like Chris Paul who's been to the playoffs, who's experienced, who's an all-time great point guard and a leader in that locker room. It's what they need. They need that kick in the ass. So Blake Griffin becomes a net. And again, this is just what you're going to keep seeing all the time with these next with these superstar players. The minute that one is unhappy, they're going to want to push their way to another team. And it's amazing how the roster 
from the start of the season for Brooklyn to now is like night and day. Oh my! Outside God. of KD and Kyrie and like Joe Harris, because remember at the beginning of the year they had Karis Levert, they had Torian Prince, they had Jared Allen, they had Curix, and they traded all those guys away. And now you you know now you're basically there's even talk that they might trade Spencer Dinwiddie because Dinwiddie's gaining some interest, but he's hurt. He still has a torn ACL. Just give us the title. I mean, it's like, like I, I always envied, I always hated the teams that did this shit, like the Lakers last year and the. the I think it's a bad look for the NBA, though. It I, is. I, 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 bad look. It. and I never liked it when the teams did it. But as a Nets fan, I fucking love it because. Oh, my, look, I, my team you and I, I was definitely, <laughs> I was against the Harden trade. You and I both know that. I didn't think the Nets needed Harden, especially for what they gave up to get him. But that being said, I'm going to eat a little crow on this one. And Harden has been absolutely fantastic since they got him. He might win the MVP. It's like, what I'm saying. Like he, but he's also taken a different type of role now where he's more of a playmaker, not necessarily a straight-up shooter. In Houston, he was a straight-up shooter. Because he was the only one. You know, he was everything. He was that whole but, you know, they, You know, between him, Durant, and Irving, they've established roles together. The thing is, the problem that I'm worried about is all three of those guys are not on the same court together, and that worries me. Durant's been out with a hamstring injury. Irving's had his injuries on and off. Blake Griffin gets hurt all the time. You know, we don't know what to expect of these guys. No, you're so, right. But right now, I mean, listen, you can't ask for a better situation for the Nets. And again, I'll eat a little crow on this one. I didn't like – I wasn't a fan of the Harden tricks. I didn't like what we gave up. But now that he's here, I have to say I've been very impressed with the way he's played. The way he's been playing, the way the Nets have been playing, the Nets have been looking great. You know, it's, I mean, granted, yeah, they're still playing no defense, but, but they're 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 outscoring and outdoing everything else better than their opponents. So, in a way, and I love defense. I think defense is a crucial part of any any sport: baseball, football, lacrosse, NHL, whatever you name it. Defense will win. Will win. Will help you win. Mm-hmm. But the Nets, they don't fucking need to play defense when they're scoring 150 points a night. Like, <laughs> no, they don't. But again, that's the one downside is they don't play their defense isn't that great. But they've been better, but it still hasn't been great. They still give up a lot of points. They do. But again, this is fucking amazing. Give give us the title. Uh, don't start that. Don't fucking jinx it, dude. I'm on, I, I'm on the the Brooklyn Blake train. Give give the beard the MVP. Get us to the I'm I'm waiting, man. Like I'm not I I'm not I'm not, I'm a casual NBA fan, but I've been a Nets fan for a few uh, like a few years now. My brother laughs at me because I can't believe you're a Nets fan. I'm like, bro, I've been a Nets fan. My friend Dave and I would go to games at the Continental Airlines Arena when the Nets were terrible. Oof. When you could get a ticket for like five bucks. When I when I was young, my dad got me into watching the Nets. Not even because of like Vince Carter or Jason Kidd or anyone like that. It was because he liked Keith Van Horn. That was that was the key player for my dad to get me into the net. Keith Van Horn was a good NBA player, but Keith Van Horn is living proof that in the NBA you can make millions of dollars doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> because his career was shortened by knee problems and everything. So they were basically paying him to stay home. Yeah. His contract was being traded around just so teams could like just to offset a salary of a bigger player. Yeah, that was that was the guy my dad got me into the Nets when I was a young age. And I got I, I was in and out of the NBA, and then I was like, oh, I'll be I'll be a Knicks fan when I was like a little bit older, you know, and the Knicks, they, they disappointed me for so many years. And like I said, casual NBA fan. So my heart really wasn't in. I was like, you know what? 
I liked what the Nets were doing. I loved Jared Allen. I loved Karis LeVert. I loved Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and all those guys. And D'Angelo Russell, I was like, you know what? I'm staking my claim. Bam, Nets fan. And I was there. I was before the bandwagon started. So everyone can suck my dick on saying, oh, you can, oh, you, you, you hopped on the bandwagon. Nope. I was there before it happened. Eat my ass. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Easy, dude. <laughs> you're the owner of the network. You're supposed to be setting. You're the owner of the network. You're supposed to be setting an example. Um, and then one other note: the NFL reportedly is going to release the schedule for the 2021 season in mid-May, kind of what they did last year, which actually turns to be really good because you kind of saw what teams who drafted who. And it made it a little easier to build up a schedule. So I am making a prediction right now that if the Jets draft Zach Wilson, and guess who they're playing this year? They're playing Trevor. Thursday night football. Mark it down. Either Thursday. Guaranteed it will be a get, or it will be a Sunday night game or a Monday night game because you know ESPN is going to want to going to want to capitalize on Trevor Lawrence against Zach Wilson. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. And e- e- even if it's Justin Fields, you know, they're going to want to get that matchup as well. I guarantee it's not going to be a one o'clock game on a Sunday. It's right, going right. to be either a Thursday night football game or a Monday night. It's not going to be Sunday because NBC is too conceited and they always find ways to just book the same teams over and over again for Sunday games. So right. either a Monday night football game or a Thursday night football game. Give us prime time. Let's go. So. All right, let's close out the show. We're gonna. I want to do uh, kind of a wrestling recap. Um, I know you do the Phenomenal Forum, but I'm not a guest on that show. So I will do my own wrestling recap. Um, okay, first things first. I want to get to WWE real quickly. Lashley won the title last week. I'm assuming he won it tonight. I know they did the... Uh, they, I know they did the read the challenge match. There was no way the Miz was losing that, was going to get the title back. No way. But Lashley finally won the belt. I thought it was a weird way how they booked him because I felt like they were building him up as like a face, kind of like a baby face. Mm-hmm. The whole, yeah, it's been 16 long years and I'm finally getting my shot type of thing. It had this really weird type of baby face feel to it. And the Hurt Business are a heel faction. So um, the one thing I'm going to say is that I think WWE really booked The Miz poorly. And the reason why I say that is because for the past year, you have booked The Miz as a clown with John Morrison. The whole Miz and Morrison, hey, hey, ho, ho. That shit was stupid to begin with. But The Miz and Morrison just turned out to be like a clown tag. And they weren't really like a serious one for me. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know. So, hold on. Oh, okay. right. I, I know it's your network, but, you know. Your show. I, yeah. I have no, I have no part. My time. <laughs> okay so the thing is is that it was proof that the wwe botched money in the bank last year with otis now i am still a firm believer that aj styles dropped that suitcase by accident because it just didn't look right it looked weird that he dropped it and it fell right into otis's hands and stuff so it led me to believe that but then again i think if wwe wanted to rectify that problem they would have had aj styles fight otis and then give him the briefcase back right They give the Miz the briefcase in that stupid match, and they pretty much buried Otis at that point. And then he cashes in at um, Elimination Chamber and beats McIntyre. And then literally within a week, 
he loses the belt to Lashley and he just looks like a pussy. Doesn't want to fight him. You know, it's, you know, and then he come, he was like faking a stomach ache or a stomach injury or something like that. And they kept building it back and building it back. When you do something like that with a guy like the Miz, who I think is a good wrestler. If you let the guy showcase his wrestling ability, there's no way you could ever justify him being a champion ever again. A heavyweight champion, maybe an intercontinental champion or a United States champion, heavyweight champion, never again. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, this past, like you mentioned, this past year with Morrison, you figured, oh, he's going to get Morrison back. This is a legitimate tag team. They could be great heels for the WWE. Absolutely not. This was, they were a big joke, you know? And two years ago, Miz, when he was running the I, with the IC title, with the Miz Taraj and everything like that, like that Miz. I could believe could be the WWE champion. Mm-hmm. With this Miz, absolutely not. Like this Miz is a joke. Like I can't, I can't. You just didn't build him up as championship material. Like you could have had a good match with Lashley. I mean, like, but that's what he should be. And it's just like this. And you knew that's where it was going to go. It was this whole weaseling out of it, and oh, I'm going to need more time, and I don't want to fight you, and all that stuff, and everything. And I knew they were going to do that with him. And that's just, I hate the way they write these things. Mm-hmm. Just have a match. Right. You know what, man? Miz has got to pay up. He probably, he made a promise to Lashley. Just have the match. You win, you win. You lose, you lose. Save it for Fastlane if you wanted to do it for Fastlane. I don't care. Yeah. You know, and that's what leads me to Fastlane. Because this is, again, another problem with WWE. And that is you keep squeezing these pay-per-views in between Mania. Mania is you got to start building those feuds for Mania. So that way you can get fired up for Mania. Like that's what I loved in WWE back in the day with Hogan and Flair and all those guys in the 90s because it was Rumble and then it was Mania, okay? And in between, you'd have like a Saturday night's main event on NBC at like 11.30 at night. Mm-hmm. And then they would just, that's how you add fuel to the fire for that kind of, and then it would build up. So when it was WrestleMania day and it was Hogan Warrior, you were ready, man. You were fired up for Hogan Warrior. No, yeah. It, fired up for Hogan Flair or whoever it was. Doesn't matter who it was. Yeah, but these these stupid fast lane roadblocks, whatever it is. Paper- fast lane is guaranteed to not have any title changes. They're not going to have any title changes at fast lane. No. Roman Reigns is not going to drop the belt at fast lane, and neither is Bobby Lashley. Unless maybe he drops it to McIntyre, which I think, again, speaks to the crappy booking, though. If you have Lashley building up this 16 years of not being able to get a title and all that stuff, to only lose it to McIntyre in two weeks, I mean, dude, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of annoying when you have, like you said, you got to build these storylines heading into WrestleMania. Like, if they didn't have Fastlane, which is a week from Sunday, apparently, I just saw that. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me, man. We just had Elimination Chamber. They it's a pay-per-view that just doesn't need to be there. It doesn't need to be there. You have one. You have you have Elimination Chamber. And that's your build-up to Mania. Now it's time to get ready for Mania. So, it just... I don't know, man. But again, it's going to be a crappy pay-per-view. It's not going to be anything remotely interesting. And then, segueing to that, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of looking forward to Mania's card. You know, Reigns against Edge. You know, Sasha Banks against Bianca Belair. But ever since... But now they're like... Now they're going back to the crap again, dude. 
Mm-hmm. Now they're going. Now we got Charlotte Osaka because Charlotte Flair has to have a championship match every year at WrestleMania. You're going to have Bad Bunny and Damian Priest against Miz and Morrison. Again, it's a gimmicky match to me. It's a gimmicky match. We got to have a celebrity in a freaking tag match. Do we really need it? And of course, Clem, what WrestleMania would be complete wouldn't be complete without a, a match with a fucking McMahon. And then we're going to have Strowman against Shane McMahon at Mania. And of course, Shane's going to do his corny freaking dive off the off the top turnbuckle or hell in a cell, whatever it is. I mean, like, is this all? But like, why do we have to do this every year? We're going to have Randy Orton against The Fiend for the gazillionth time, and this time in a Firefly Funhouse match, which you're now doing two years in a row because you did it last year with Cena. I mean, like, all of a sudden now, I've lost interest in WrestleMania. Like, I'm just not feeling WrestleMania. Like, it's, and it, it's, I guess it's not annoying that it's two nights because it kind of breaks it up on how long it was. Like, last year when it was two nights, it was basically nice. I'm not watching from 5, 8, from 5 p.m. to 12 o'clock at night. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this mania. I'm, I just, I really don't know. But it's like none of the matches to me are going to be as interesting. Like Rude and Ziggler against, you know, the Street Profits is a rumored match for the tag titles. Oh, see, it's like Rude and Ziggler haven't been on SmackDown in like weeks. Terrible. You have no, you have no significantly good booking for Bailey, who's like you've been your best champion. It's. uh... And I'm getting a bad feeling that they're going to turn Sasha Banks heel for Mania, and like she's going to be the heel, and Belair is going to be the face. I'm fine but, with that though, because Sasha's a great heel. Yeah, but she just went through a whole thing with Bailey where she was like riding Bailey's coattails as a heel. Then she becomes a face to win the belt, which was not that long ago. And now she's gonna go back to being a heel. I mean, it just seems the time it was written. And why is this guy Reginald involved in everything? I have no idea. That's the stupidest thing in the world that he's part of this. Ugh. So, like right now, the way it's looking is it just doesn't look like it's going to be a great card. Like it started out great. Like Reigns and Edge, I think is going to be a great match. You know, I think Edge should win the title. I think it would be a great kind of like cherry on top to, you know, his, his comeback is to winning the title. And I think Belair and Sasha Banks could be a really good match. And I also think that um, uh, McIntyre Lashley could be a good match. Although I, I would rather have Lashley Lesnar. Yes, I think having Lashley Lesnar would be so much better. But I understand that they can't do that right now. But again, we're just right back to the shoddy booking in WWE. We're just right back to it. And then the thing is, again, you have you're supposed, you know, I want to see the tag team titles on Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. I don't want to see Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler with the belts anymore. I don't care. And that's another match that's going to be terrible. Jackson Baszler against Lana and Naomi? Are you freaking kidding me? Like, what they should have done was they should have gave Dakota and Raquel the title, the tag titles. And if you wanted to, you could have thrown Nia and Shayna into the, into the, the, women's, the Raw Women's Championship match. Because then at least, okay, it's not the same shit with Asuka and Charlotte. At least it's something different you know it's not it's not really the same thing but like but this has been wwe's failure for too long they're not building up they're not developing 
Like, think about it. They were talking about a, a title run for Peyton Royce, not a title run, but a push for Peyton Royce. So they broke up the Iconics. And now Peyton Royce is just buried again. They, they don't develop anybody. They just, it's the same rinse and repeat every year for Mania. And it'll be eventually what's going to happen is Bailey's going to become a face again. And then she's going to go, and then that's how she's going to get over again. And it's, it's just going to be, it's always going to be something, man. Exactly. And like, you know, they're not building, they should be building up the riot squad as a tag team. And they're not even doing that. They have them losing every week. I mean, they had Liv Morgan losing to Tamina. I mean, the way they do things is just so bad. It's just so poor. Like I was watching NXT UK like last week. And Gallus was fighting pretty, pretty deadly, mm-hmm. right? Gallus has been the tag team, tag champs for years. Tough Irish guys look like you don't want to mess with them in a pub or whatever. That's how like, that's just how they're built, you know, like and everything. And they're getting their ass kicked and pretty deadly does one shoulder block, knocks the guy out over the, uh, like the, the guardrail. And the guy never comes back to the match. And I'm like, how does a guy get his ass beat for this long? But he all it takes is a shoulder block to knock him out of the match for the rest of the match. And then basically Gallus is fighting in a two-on-one and they lose the belts. And I'm like, see, that's terrible ending. Yeah, it, I, I, I'm actually surprised because NXT usually – and you, NXT UK usually does a good job of – NXT UK is great. I think it's so good. They, they do a good job of developing talent, you know, and same thing with NXT – U- USA, I guess you could say, <laughs> but yeah. they, they do a good job developing talent, you know, creating guys from nothing or getting guys from New Japan or Ring of Honor, whatever it is, and showing off that they can actually wrestle like and everything like that. But it's like as soon as they get to the WWE, the rain rosters, it's like, oh, you forget everything that you, you're supposed to forget everything they did on NXT. And it's bullshit. Yeah. Now, segueing to AEW Revolution. So I haven't finished watching it yet. I've, I got through the first hour. And man, Clem, I'm seeing a lot of issues with their booking. There's something about their booking I just don't like. I don't know what it is, but for starters, I've said this before and I'll say it again, MJF should not be in the inner circle. You have built him up as a monster heel, as a douchey heel, and he should be his own separate entity. Well, it, they, they kind of, tease that a little bit like i think after like the third or fourth match they're gonna break up the inner circle that's what he's gonna do Uh, you already know that's what's gonna happen it's just only it's gonna be played out for a few weeks and everything but that is a faction that's completely fallen apart you know they don't even book santana and ortiz well anymore and they were one of the best tag teams going to aew Mm -hmm. okay the other thing that aew needs to start seriously thinking about building is their women's division Oh, this division stinks. It's it's not good, but it's getting better a little bit. Like when you have girls like Britt Baker, she's great. Anna Jay, she's great. Sheeta's great. Uh, but the problem is, like the Sheeta match yesterday, it felt like it was like two hours long. It was. It's not, and it's not interesting too. When you have it took so long for that match to end, and the thing was, I just don't think people were that interested after a while. I wasn't. The thing is, Revolution should have been a condensed pay-per-view. Like, you know, I don't think you need to have the Orange Cassidy tag match on that pay-per-view. You don't. Okay. I don't think you need to have, I mean, maybe you could, you know, yeah, okay, Hangman and Matt Hardy, sure. Okay. 
but you also have a battle royal for tag teams and you have a royal rumble or you have a ladder like a money in like a ladder match basically like it's like the equivalent of the money in the bank mm-hmm. and overall like the tag the tag battle royal i thought was decent you know good. you know i have you know listen you know you and i are big cap fans so it was cool seeing a tag team like bear country in there and they actually had a pretty decent showing in that in that uh in the battle royal but it's a case now of AEW having too much talent mm-hmm. and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So a lot of these guys are buried in these weird feuds or, you know, and everything. Like, for example, Matt Seidel, AKA Evan Bourne. Remember when he was Evan Bourne in, in Raw and how good he was as Evan Bourne? He was probably my favorite wrestler when he was Evan Bourne. But now he's in like a, he's in a tag team with his brother and they're just like a bunch of, they just look like a bunch of jobbers. Yeah. And, you know? and he, when you mention too much talent, when you speak of the Casino Battle Royale, you have a tag team of Pac and Phoenix. Uh, and and Ray Phoenix, great wrestlers. They're they're fantastic wrestlers, but they're not tag team material. I mean, well, Ray Phoenix is when he when he's with uh, Pentagon, but yeah, I would have flipped it. I would have had Pac in the in the uh, when the match with Scorpio Sky and had Phoenix and Pentagon tagging together. Yeah, that did. That, they were the Lucha Brothers, man. Exactly. And the Lucha Brothers are arguably just as good as the Young Bucks, if not better. And when you had that, it's like, well, now you're just giving Pac like titles just because he can't, you're not fitting him in the, in the. I thought the Bucks match was good, but um, did you notice that MJF didn't really wrestle that much? I didn't watch the first match. I, I bought, I MJF got. MJF didn't, to me, it looked like MJF barely wrestled. Like he didn't really do much, you know, if anything. But. You know that match was all right. The match was good. You know it was it was a it was a decent match. I honestly thought that Sammy Guevara was going to come down and interfere on on behalf, but they wow. didn't do that. I figured it would have started a Guevara you know feud with the Inner Circle. And then of course you get to the last match. I haven't watched the Omega match yet, but a lot of people didn't think it was that great because they botched the exploding ring. And then on top of that, it was like weird that the Good Brothers come down yet again to interfere. And that Moxley didn't really have anything to like, yeah, no, anybody to really help him. It was weird. It was just like, you know. It's it's getting to a point with the Mox, like the Omega Moxley feud has been fantastic overall. And I thought the match was pretty good itself because this is something we, no one, no wrestling fan has seen in what, 25 years or something like that. Yeah. Overall, the match was very good. These were the two guys who I think in probably in all professional wrestling, who can carry this match out. And it was a great match up until, you know, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson came out and just beat the shit out of Moxley and handcuffed him. And then the botch of the non-exploding ring with just sparklers coming out. I was like, well, this ruined the whole thing now. And then Eddie Kingston selling that he, that the ring did explode, didn't help it. And, and then afterwards, it didn't exactly help AEW any better because Tony Khan was trying to play it off as like, oh, Kenny Omega did a bad job of, you know, well, yeah, blaming it like on Kenny Omega not having the big fanfare, which I thought was very awkward. Well, Moxley even went on, like, after everything went off the air and Moxley apparently grabbed the mic and told all the fans there that he was like, you know, Kenny Omega is the one tough son of a bitch, but, you know, he can't build a wrestling ring for shit. Like, yeah. I mean, that's Moxley, though. And the thing is, I don't know if they're going to write Moxley off the show because, you know, Renee Young is about to give, I think she's pregnant and she's very pregnant. Yeah, she's very pregnant. So she's probably due. I don't know how far along, but she's probably due pretty soon. 
So they could be writing him off the show with that match. I have no idea. But overall, I thought the show, from what I saw, but then, okay, here is a glaring problem I'm having with this with AEW, and I think you can agree. It's eerily similar to when WCW and Eric Bischoff was purging WWE talent because all he cared about was beating Vince McMahon. And I see AEW kind of doing the same thing. So they bring in the revival. They bring in, you know, like even managers like Vicky Guerrero and, you know, of course, guys like Jim Ross and, you know, Jericho. And Jericho is a perfect guy to lead that federation into, you know, lead the youth. But then what happens is you start bringing in guys like the big show. What is the big show going to do for you at this stage of his career? We don't even know how good of an announcer he really is or a color commentator. Have you ever heard him color commentate before? Is there anything, you know, now the show is going to be on YouTube, which might be good because then he'll just, he'll, he'll gain his chops and everything. But you tease this big surprise. Oh, we're, you know, this big surprise is coming. And that's all we heard. Big show was building it up. Tony Khan was building it up and everything. Okay. So, you know, the rumor mill started circulating. You know, some people mentioned it was going to be Pat McAfee. To McAfee's credit, and I love the fact that he did this, he took a picture of a wrestling bag mm-hmm. and thought and said kind of like almost like, a, almost like a hint kind of thing that he might be the guy. Then there was talk that it might have been Kurt Angle, which I think would have been terrible. Then there was talk, the rumor that it could have been Bully Ray, which I think would have been terrible. And then it turns out to be Christian. Now, look, I love Christian. He's one of my favorites. I love the peep show. I love all that stuff. Uh, he was, he's great. But for a federation like AEW, what is Christian going to do for you? In the long term, not the short term, the long term. Yeah, it's... Bring him in. Okay, he does a feud with Cody Rhodes. Great. And then once that feud is over, then what? Then what is Christian going to do for you? Yeah, it's... the. Yeah, he may be there. I mean, maybe put over talent because we all know what Christian can do. He's one of the greats to ever do it, you know, and whatnot. But if he's not there to put over talent, then, yeah, like, why is he there? He'll do something with Cody. He'll do something with Darby Allen, maybe. And that's that's maybe I can't see him going anywhere near the the AEW championship. Maybe the tag titles if he has history with someone. I don't know. I generally have no idea. Bringing in these old veterans. The minute a WWE guy gets released – AEW is right there to snatch them up. They did it with Rusev. And even to a lesser extent, they did it with Sting. Mm-hmm. And Sting is pushing 60. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I just, I don't understand what they're doing. And yeah. I don't understand because you have a lot of good, solid, young talent on that roster. You know, and I'm talking about mid-card to low-card, you know, wrestlers like, <clears throat> excuse me. Sonny Kiss, Joey Janela, Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, okay, just to name a few. Scorpio Sky. Um, I mean, even guys like, you know, maybe guys like Max Caster, you know, who are up and coming. These are the guys you want to showcase for everybody. I think just when you keep recycling the same, you know, has-been WWE wrestler, 
It's like only a matter of time before Bill Goldberg becomes a free agent and AEW brings him in. And it's eerily similar to when, if you've ever seen the Monday Night Wars on, on WWE Network mm-hmm. with WCW, and Eric Bischoff and Ted Turner, were all they cared about was beating Vince McMahon. So they gave guys like Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, and Hogan these contracts that were just albatross contracts. Mm-hmm. It's like what you don't do when you're negotiating. Right. The minute a guy made more money than Kevin Nash, Kevin Nash immediately made more money than that guy. That was a clause in his contract. It was a kicker in his contract. Then Kevin Nash was booking and he was doing a terrible job booking. He was booking all the good shit for him and everyone else was getting pushed, pushed back. That's why guys like Jericho, guys like Mysterio got so tired of it. And that's why they wound up going to WWE because they just got tired. And it was the same thing when you go into Nitro and every day it was, oh, the NWO is going to come in and kick your ass because that's how they built it up. And it scares me because I have been too crazy with AEW to begin with. You know, it started out really good, but I think it's kind of kind of tapered off. But I'm afraid they're going down that road. It, it, it does look like it. And granted, yeah, there are some guys who are in some prominent storylines that re- they really don't need to you know, being like in a title picture or whatnot. But, you know, it's going to get to that point where like a guy maybe like Kip Sabian, Joey Janela, Jungle Jungle uh, Express, a, all the all these different teams are going to be like, okay, well, now it's my turn. And you're still booking, you know, Moxley Omega or Pac in the title map, Cody Rhodes, you know, the Young Bucks, you know, FTR. If this new show is going to be their answer to like NXT – that sounds cool, man. I, I think that would be pretty cool to do. It gives guys, like you know, tag teams like, you know, the Gun Club and, you know, yeah. even like even like wrestlers that you and I have, you know, we talk about all the time, like VSK. And, you know, you give them a shot. You know, you give them a, a platform. Okay, that's cool. I got no problem with that. But I just think – I don't understand what in the long term what bringing in Christian is going to do for you. That's my point. I mean, it's going to get to a point where bringing in this ex-WWE talent, especially guys who are older like Christian, it's it's one thing for Moxley and Miro, but when you're bringing in older guys like well, that, Listen, they haven't really done anything with Miro either. They haven't done anything with him. Moxley's a different story. He's, he's one of the exceptions to the rule. You know, Moxley and Jericho, I got no problem with them bringing them in. But it's like you also have a shitload of tag teams in, in AEW. You have, you know, again, we said it before, Santana Ortiz, the Dark Order. You have, you know, the the uh, the Blondes, whatever their name is. Oh, yeah. The uh, Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison. You have Jurassic Express. You have SCU. You Private Party. I mean, you have so many tags. Butcher and Blade. I mean, they have so many tag teams right now in AEW. That, that, there's, there's no way you can have work for all those guys. No way. Yeah, it's tough. Again, and the thing is, a team like the Revival is another team that has they haven't done much with them either. You know, and like I said, like I'm, I think I briefly mentioned this last time we talked about AEW. In the, the I, I'm not sure if this rumor is true or not, but they might have to go to do a second show. Like you know, they, they may not have a choice. Yeah, they, they, I guess it's good in a way if they do it because. You know, Raw and SmackDown, they, you know, as much as people hate to say, oh, Raw and SmackDown, they're, they're terrible shows, 
They get millions of viewers every week. So they're doing something, you know, because the, the wrestling fan will tune into it. And if you keep adding talent like this, you can't keep it to one night. You know, it, it's got to be – AEW's got to be on two separate nights. I know. But, again, like, this is the problem I'm having with them. I'm just having, you know – I mean, listen, I'm a pretty – I'm a bit of a stickler when it comes to these things. Like, I just, you know, I just want to see good booking at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But it just gets to the point where you get so tired of like the same like stuff, and then on top of that, all you're seeing is oh, Paul White is all elite, and you know Christian Cage is all elite, and I'm like, okay, that's great in the short term, but what about the long term? I mean, what are the long term ramifications of this? Right, yeah, and the way they built up this the signing, you really did think it was going to be like a Brock Lesnar. CM Punk to an extent where it's like, oh wow, that okay. Then you can. Do you imagine if fucking Kurt Angle walked out? I would have flipped. I would have flipped out if Kurt Angle had walked out. I'd be like, this is this is exactly the problem. So, all right. So before we get out of here, anything, anything else? Good. Okay. Before we go, I want next week legal tampering officially begins. By the time we do our show, you'll probably have some deals already announced even though they don't really get announced on wednesday give me one guy you want to see the jets sign and one guy you don't i want to see the jets sign alan robinson i think we need alan robinson for whoever our quarterback even if we even if we decide to keep sam alan robinson has to be on this team next year i don't care who it is whatever I'm not really sure who I don't want to, who I don't want the Jets to sign yet because from what I heard in rumors, guys like Allen Robinson, Joe Thune, Richard Sherman to even an extent, I think it's these are all guys that we might need. You know, it's not really like I haven't really heard anything yet. The only thing, the only really the only one I heard like rumor wise of who we might get is Kyle Pitts with that second overall pick. That's the only guy I really don't want so far. Other than that. Connor Hughes is claiming – Connor Hughes is saying – he said on his podcast today that he would be shocked if the Jets didn't wind up with Richard Sherman. Yeah. Richard he would be Sherman, absolutely I shocked I think, if Richard Sherman was not a Jet. And, again, I, I like – I like I, Richard Sherman would be great for these young guys. I, I, you know how I feel about Richard Sherman. I'm, I'm not his biggest fan, but he's still a decent corner. He knows Salah's defense, and he could be a great mentor to guys like Huff, Gidry, Hall – uh, bless Austin, Arthur Millette. He could be a great mentor to that, and he could be a solid number one if they if they're ready to roll with Bryce Hall at the two corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna do this two ways. I'm gonna say that the one guy I would, I'm gonna say I would like them to sign is Matt Judon. Mm-hmm. I think pairing him with C.J. Mosley would be huge. For their linebackers, and he—he's not a great pass rusher, but he—he he gets the job done. I think he could definitely get the job done, especially in Salah's defense. Mm-hmm. And the one guy I would say I don't want them to sign, and I don't know if they will anyway, but I'm going to say Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah, because Ngakwe really has tapered off. He wasn't very good with the Vikings after they traded for him, and he wasn't much better with the Ravens. So I would say those are the two guys right now. And I definitely think Douglas is going to be – I think there's going to be a trade. I think the Jets are going to be involved in a trade at some point this week. I just don't know who it's going to be. I would not sleep on the possibility of them possibly trading for Trent Brown from the Raiders. 
to play right tackle. Oh, no, I'm thinking of uh, Orlando Brown. That's what I was thinking. Not Orlando Brown. I think they're going to trade for Trent Brown. Yeah, I wouldn't hate Trent Brown. Trent Brown would be uh, – I mean, I just don't – when it comes to tackles, I don't think that a tackle is a high priority. George Fant did a good job last year. I right? thought he did a good job. I think he did better than what people thought. I think he got better as the year got on, and I think with different coaching, he could wind up being even better. Exactly. But, oh, I like That's why, like, when people say, oh, Penny Sewell, oh, we need to go get this guy in the free agency, I'm like – do we, though? Like, it's not that big of a priority to me. But one thing I will say is, man, I cannot wait for next week. So can I. I can't. I'm so fired up for the NFL season, like, the offseason to start. Like, this is my second Christmas for me right here. Like, I love the NFL offseason. I love when the free agent signings happen. I but love- I told you that, bro. It's, a, it's America's pastime, dude. This is the new America's pastime is football. This is my it's second. no longer baseball. And I'm ready for it, man. I mean, think about it. You and I are huge football fans, and everybody that watches football are so fired up for the offseason because they love when free agents sign with teams. And they love to sit there and analyze every contract that comes in like you and I do. And then all of a sudden they're just like, oh, man, I wish the draft was next week because I just want to see what the fucking Jets are going to do already. You know, like I want want to know what we're going to do at two, you know, like that type of stuff. That's the type of stuff you look forward to. So I'd say Judon, yes, and Gawkway, no. If yeah. I had to, if I was a betting man on Joe Douglas, I'd say he signs neither. Because <laughs> I just don't see him breaking the bank big time for too many players. I think he will break the bank for one or, you know, depending on how the franchise tags roll out the rest of the week. There's talk that the Bucks are going to franchise Godwin. You know, there's talk that the Lions could franchise Galladay and the uh, Bears could franchise Robinson. So that would make basically Juju Smith-Schuster. The only thing that's not I'm not crazy about with Will Fuller, two things. Injury prone. Injury prone, and he's got baggage. He's got baggage off the field. So I'm a little concerned about that. Outside of that, he can he can burn. Yeah, he's great. And, you know, I would love him because you and me, both Notre Dame fans. So I, would yeah, love I love Will Fuller. Will Fuller was a great receiver in Notre Dame. Oh, he was so good. So good. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for this episode of Moffat on the Mic for this week. I'd like to thank everybody for checking us out live on the Facebook feed, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. You can follow my show, as always, on Instagram at Moffat on the Mic and on my Facebook page as well. You can follow Clem and the A1 Sports Network on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Clem, thank you for holding it down like you normally do. We will be back next Monday night, right here, same time. By then, the legal tampering period will have officially begun. And uh, I'm sure there will be some deals that break right before we come on the air. And I'm sure something will happen as soon as we log off five minutes from now. So, again, on behalf of Clem, I am Craig. This is the Moffat on the Mic Show. Thank you, everybody, for checking us out. Enjoy the week. Wear your mask. Stay safe out there. Getting close, Clem. We're getting to a little bit of normalcy, little bit, little by little. I'm ready, man. I got, I got my vaccine. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. Yeah, I don't know when I'm gonna, I won't be getting mine anytime soon. So lucky you. <laughs> Are you considered an essential worker? That's why. Yeah. Or your fire department. First responder. Yeah. So I got my. Uh, I was able to get my my shots. I did didn't you get them, which one did you get? Johnson and Johnson or Moderna? I wish I got the. Well, actually, I don't wish I got the Johnson and Johnson because I heard it's like a seventy-five percent like effective rate. Eighty-five. Oh, 85. Yeah, I got the Moderna. I got both shots in my left arm. No symptoms afterwards. That's good. No, that's definitely good to hear. It's a crazy sore arm. Like I went into 
Like I got it done on Saturday. That's what my wife got. My wife had a really that's it's called Moderna arm. Yeah, and it, it's like a real. That is a major. That's like the biggest side effect of it is that they. It's a uh, that you get a very sore arm. Oh, it was it was crazy sore. Like, like I lit, I like I went into work next day with the ambulance and I banged my arm into one of the walls and I was like, oh my god, you got to take my arm off. It hurt. <laughs> like, I told my partner, I was like, you're gonna have to do it the rest of the work today because my arm is is it's done. I, I can't I can't feel my arm. Like, it, it hurt that bad. You're a pussy. (laughs) All right, everyone, stay safe. Have a great rest of the week. Will Clem and I will be back next Monday night right here on the A1 Sports Network Facebook feed. Have a great one, everybody.